the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When you live in a way that is contrary to God's will, someone or something else becomes the focus of your story, and it robs God of his rightful glory, and he is not pleased. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Makes our way. How does he do that? Well, he just says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth, all those things that are weighing you down, all those circumstances that are keeping you from thinking he can do it, all those temptations that are causing you to struggle, all those things will grow strangely dim in the light and the glory of his face and his grace. And so, and so, for Moses, God said, put a snake on the pole. When they looked at the snake on the pole, when that pole is lifted up, the bite of that serpent that was the result of their sin, that sting will go away. And so when Jesus started preaching to a man named Nicodemus one night, in John chapter 3, he knew that Nick would know that story. And he says this in verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, remember that story about Moses and how Moses put that snake on that pole and if how people, if they looked to the pole, that they would be saved from that sting of the serpent that was caused by their sin. He's saying, Nick, you got a, you got a snake bite in your life and that snake bite is called sin. And that sin separates you from God who is holy. And if it's left undealt with, it'll kill you. You're going to die from it. But the Son of Man is going to be put up on a pole. You're going to call it a cross. And when Jesus is lifted up, if you just turn your eyes to Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, the things of this world will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. If you look to Jesus, Nick, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would just look to him would not perish but have eternal life. I want you to know today, I don't know what you've been through, but God does, and he loves you. He couldn't love you anymore than he's already loved you today. And he'll never love you any less than he loves you right now. See, our God is a way maker. And just like he made a way in the wilderness, he made a way through Jesus for that snake bit bite of sin in your life. 
And just like they were released from the bondage of slavery in the wilderness, you can be released from that bondage and slavery of sin. I, I hesitate to do this. Because whenever you hear a preacher or a teacher talk about the original language, the Greek, when we're talking about the Bible, you think, well, my goodness, can I not just read the Bible for myself? And yes, you can. But I just want to make something clear. When it says that God has made a way for you, it literally uses a tense that says it this way. He made a way in your past. He'll make a way in your present. And he's going to make a way in your future. There's nothing you face that's too big for God. There's nothing you go through in which Jesus won't make a way for you. But like the, like the Israelites being freed from the bondage of the Egyptian, if you're going to be freed from the bondage of sin, you've got to trust him. There has to be a moment in time where you say, Jesus, I'm turning my eyes to you. We call that repentance. That's what the children of Israel did when they went to Moses and said, please, we, we acknowledge our sin. This is not right. Would you go to God? Well, when you acknowledge your sin and tell God, I recognize that Jesus, you died on that cross and you were lifted up onto that pole for my sin. When you do that, he offers forgiveness and grace that changes everything for you. And the neat thing about it is that it, just, it doesn't just give you a home right here. It's better. It gives you a home in heaven. So this week I was watching Billy Graham's funeral and his Son Franklin gets up there and and he says, you know, my daddy, my daddy preached about heaven. And my daddy talked about heaven a lot in these latter years. And he said, my, my daddy even wrote a book about heaven. But he said, I want you to know right now, my daddy is in heaven. And then he turned and he said this. If it were your funeral today, could we say you're in heaven? You see, the truth is the reason that the Son of Man was lifted up, the reason that God wants us to turn to Jesus, the reason God demonstrated his love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died is so that he could restore that broken fellowship that he wants us to have with him. And so I want to press pause, and I want you to hear me carefully. We're not quite done. So if you've got a Bible open, don't close it. Don't start ordering your lunch menu yet. But I want you to bow your heads with me right now. Because there's no doubt in my mind that somebody is here today and you've not yet begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. And through the last few minutes of God's powerful word, you've been reminded that God loves you. And he's made a way. So I wonder if today you'd be willing to turn your eyes to him. I wonder if today you'd be willing to trust him in this moment for everything in your life. See, remember, the Bible says you're sitting, you're separated. You were in bondage and slavery because of sin. But God doesn't want you to stay in slavery. He wants to give you his promised land, the hope of heaven meaningful and fulfilled life here and that's found through Jesus and so there's a moment what, what Jesus told that man named Nicodemus that guy named Nick that night he said there had to be a moment where you're born again and Nicodemus like some of you are thinking what do you mean be born again I'm 48 years old how can I be born again and he said no I'm not talking about being born out of your mother 
I'm saying just like you have a birthday, you've got to have a spiritual birthday where you know that's the day that I trusted Jesus. And if you can't say you know that day, why not make today that day? Right here in this moment, right here in this church, you could cry out to God and say, I need you, Jesus. Maybe you'd pray this prayer, just you and God. You don't have to say it out loud, but you can say it out loud. Maybe you just pray this. Jesus, dear Jesus, I know I need you. I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness and grace. And I believe you died for me. I believe now you're alive today. I want to be born again. I want to be saved. I want to walk with you. So I receive your forgiveness. And right here, right now, tell you I'm ready to follow you I turn from my way my sin and I turn to you and tell him thank you with their heads still bowed our eyes closed I'm, I'm not going to embarrass anyone but somebody here made the most important decision a person could ever make change your eternal destiny so if you just prayed that prayer with me and you meant that and you began that relationship with God before I say amen and, and we continue, would you just lift up your hand so that I can welcome you to the family of God? You just prayed that prayer with me right now. Would you just lift your hand up? You can put it right back down. That's the most important thing you could ever do. That's great. Welcome to God's family. A couple of you, welcome to God's family. If you're watching this and you did that, welcome to God's family. Jesus, thank you that you're still changing lives for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you can kind of understand why that verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, is in there. But Paul was saying, in light of this idolatry, in light of this immorality, in light of this uh, irreverence and irritability, whatever you do, whether you drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. The issue is not what you can do. The issue is, are you giving God glory with your life? And, and so before he gets to that verse, he illustrates it. And he illustrates it in this way. He says, I know there's some confusion among you. You're worried about what, what, what you can eat. And, and some of you, that's the way you look at your faith. Well, if I take the step of faith, can I do this? Can I do that? Can I do this? How about that one over there? And, and that was what was going on in the church at Corinth. And he said, so I hear you. Some of you are saying, hey, we know we're not supposed to eat meat if it's been sacrificed to a pagan god. But what if we just go to the meat market? And we go to buy some hamburger and we get home and we find out, I think that was a sacrifice to a pagan God. Are we going to die because we ate a hamburger? Is God going to be mad at us? And then he says, what if we go to somebody's house and they say, hey, I grilled some great steaks tonight and you're eating the steak and all of a sudden you find out it was sacrificed to a pagan God. They got a deal on it because it was cheaper at the market. Am I going to die because of that? So Paul says in, in these verses, what he says, hey, your issue is not the cow. 
Your issue is the people. The son of man was not lifted up for the cows. He was lifted up for the people. So I don't care about the cows, but I care about the people. So if you go to the meat market and you don't know you're eating pagan sacrifice hamburger, enjoy, put some cheese on it. And if you're at your neighbor's house and, and if they, they bought steaks and got them on sale because they had just come off of the altar, you don't know that. They don't tell you that. Enjoy the steak. Have some mushrooms. But if you find out in any of those cases that this was pagan offered to idols, then yeah, don't do it. Why? Not because of the cow. Remember, I didn't come to die for the cows. I came for the people. But people are watching you. So make your decisions based on how that affects the people that are watching you make those decisions. See, there were two problems in the church at Corinth, problems we have today. One's a big word. It's called licentiousness. It comes from the word license. So people understood Jesus died for our sins. We don't have to do anything but trust Jesus. And they're right. But as a result, they felt like, hey, I got a place in heaven so I can do anything I want to. It's like the old guy I would grow up with in South Carolina that would say, oh, preacher, I don't care. Just as long as I got a little cabin on the back 40 of heaven, that'll be okay for me. They just live their life thumbing their nose, cheapening grace, thinking I can do anything I want, and at the last minute I'll squeeze myself over the line. That's licentiousness. The other problem, though, is just as bad, and it's called legalism. Legalism says I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do, and if you do, you're not going where I'm going. It's looking down your sinful nose at the sins of other people. And thinking that people don't act and dress and look and think just like you, they're not going into heaven. And Paul's saying, none of those are the right way. Why? Because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's the heart of the gospel. Jesus is everything. Oswald Chambers, even this morning, said, our ordinary and our reasonable service to God may actually compete against our total surrender. So don't let what you do for God get in the way of your being surrendered to him. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. You can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. So before I pray, I want to just give you some help on answering the questions, how do I glorify God in my daily life? And I want to make it real easy. So three questions to ask when determining whether or not God is glorified by your attitudes and your actions. I could give you more. In fact, my friend Brent Crow, he's spoken here. He wrote a book called Chasing Elephants. He gives you a filter of 15 questions. It's excellent. And if you put your decision-making process through those 15 questions, I promise you, you're going to come out with things that glorify God. But we don't have time for 15, so let me just give you three. And I adopted these from Chuck Swindoll. The first thing I want you to do is ask this question. What does this attitude or action 
profit? What is the profit? Is there benefit in doing what I do? Is this building up the kingdom of God or is it making other people better or is the opposite taking place? Is it tearing them down? Is there potentially any negative profit? Some of you are watching the stock market do this these last few weeks. And what you want it to do is this. What you don't like is when it does this. Why? Because we want profit. We don't want negative profit. That's called loss. And so when you look at your life, you want to say, is this profiting? And that's what it's talking about also in Romans chapter 14, 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. What this means is simply this. Our freedom in Christ should never undermine our focus on Christ. So Paul says, are all things lawful? Sure. You're not getting to heaven based on the law. You're free. Celebrate your freedom. But if your freedom ever takes you away from a focus on Jesus, then you've abused your freedom. So here's a question you've got to ask. It's not what I get to do as a Christian, but what am I willing to give up because I'm a Christian? So just let's just put it through the filter. Now, there are some things that are clearly right and wrong, but let's just throw some out there that, that may have a little more gray area in Scripture. So when it comes to like alcohol and, and drugs, the, some of that may not be explicitly cl clear in Scripture. I ask the question, am I willing to give up what I may be able to do so that I might give greater glory to Jesus? And that's just one example. Any decision-making process put through this. Is it okay to have sexual relationships with this person outside of marriage? Is it okay for me to cohabitate with somebody before I'm married? All of these things, just put it through the filter. What is the profit? But let me give you a second question. How does this affect other people? Because remember, Paul was saying, I don't really care about the cows, but I do care about the people. So how is what I'm doing affecting the people around me? Is it making them more like Jesus? Or is there any chance if they're looking at me doing this, it can make them less like Jesus? And I'm just telling you, if it is, it's not glorifying God. How does my decision affect other people? And then what is the purpose? Because that's 1 Corinthians 10, 31 in, at the heart. Everything I do, whether I eat, sleep, drink, whatever I do, do all for the glory of God. What is the purpose? Is my purpose the glory of God or is my purpose anything else because there's a lot of purposes in our life and some of them may even be good purposes but any of those purposes that do not glorify god will always they'll always end in failure you see the reason for that is because there's only two types of people in the world there's glory givers and their glories takers you're either living your life giving glory to god or your decisions your attitudes and your actions are taking away from the glory of god so this week we celebrated the life of a glory giver. He was not a perfect man by any means. He was not God. And in fact, he, he blew it even publicly sometimes. And, and there was a time really when he got really involved in politics and, and Billy Graham came back and publicly even said, I, I messed up then. I, I wish I would not have done that. He was a humble man who gave God glory. And so it was neat watching his life remembered by his family and by others. It was a very moving service. I encourage you to watch it if you haven't. But there was one little scene in that where one of his daughters is talking about an experience she had. And she's, she just followed another one of her 
of Billy Graham's daughters that gave a moving, moving speech. And then she gave these words. Watch this. I want to thank each one of you for being here today. From those in the very back here in the tent to the very front row. We are blessed and honored that you are here. Thank you. And I have learned this week, as never before, that everybody has a Billy Graham story. And even this week, President Trump told us about his Billy Graham story. As a little boy, his father took him to Yankee Stadium to hear my father preach. And he said, this is a big deal. <laughs> little did they know that their paths would cross many, many years later. But I have my own Billy Graham story. So I'm going to tell you that one. And I've told it many times, and some of you have maybe heard it many times. But it bears repeating because, to me, it speaks to the essence of who my father was and is. After 21 years, my marriage ended in divorce. I was devastated. I floundered. I did a lot wrong. The rug was pulled out from under me. My family thought it would be a good idea for me to move away to get a fresh start somewhere else. So I decided to live near my older sister and her family and near a good church. The pastor of that church introduced me to a handsome widower, and we began to date fast and furiously. My children didn't like him, but I thought, you know, they were almost grown. They didn't know what they could, they couldn't tell me what to do. I knew what was best for my life. My mother called me from Seattle. My father called me from Tokyo. They said, honey, why don't you slow down? Let us wait to get to know this man. They had never been a single parent. They had never been divorced. What did they know? So being stubborn, willful, and sinful, I married a man, this man, on New Year's Eve. And within 24 hours, I knew I'd made a terrible mistake. After five weeks, I fled. I was afraid of him. What was I going to do? I wanted to go talk to my mother and my father. It was a two-day drive. Questions swirled in my mind. What was I going to say to Daddy? What was I going to say to Mother? What was I going to say to my children? I'd been such a failure. What were they going to say to me? You, we, we're tired of fooling with you. We told you not to do it. You've embarrassed us. And let me tell you, you women will understand you don't want to embarrass your father. You really don't want to embarrass Billy Graham. <laughs> and many of you know that we live on the side of a mountain. And as I wound myself up the mountain, I rounded the last bend in my father's driveway, and my father was standing there waiting for me. As I got out of the car, he wrapped his arms around me and he said, welcome home. There was no shame, there was no blame, there was no condemnation, just unconditional love. And you know, my father was not God, but he showed me what God was like that day. When we come to God with our sin, our brokenness, our failure, our pain and our hurt, God says, welcome home. And that invitation is open for you. Thank you, and God bless you. There will be moments in your life where you do not please God. 
there there were for Billy Graham, there were for my daddy, there are for me, there were for the Apostle Paul. But you can choose to live for the glory of God. You'll never be God. But you can live in such a way that others will see God in you. And I've, I've told you before, but in the Bible we have these chapters and these verses, but you have to remember they weren't there. Paul wrote a letter. He didn't put the little lines, verses in it. And so I, I want you to hear the very next thing he said after dealing with this glory of God. He said in chapter 11, verse 1, So be imitators of me as I am of Christ. When you live for the glory of God, you can say, follow me as I follow Jesus. And that pleases God. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.